sometimes it may be that while we are complaining of the hardness of the hearts of those we are seeking to benefit, the hardness of our own hearts and our feeble apprehension of the solemn reality of eternal things may be the true cause of our want of success. And I'd like to speak on the subject of the reflexive request. You may wonder, what does the word reflexive mean? Well, reflexive is something that turns back on itself. For example, maybe you've done this, when I, I have been able to do some prison ministry, and um, I've had the opportunity to be a, a chaplain in some federal prisons around the Montreal area, and got to see several inmates come to Christ through that. But when you're inside the prison, um, you can't bring your computer in, and you can hardly, not much you can bring in or out. So, so since they provided me with a computer terminal there, sometimes I would send myself an email. You know, if I, could, if I needed to, if something happened and I had to maybe do research on a subject to meet with an inmate for a Bible study, I would use my prison email account to email my church email account. I would send myself an email. That's a reflexive action. When you do something and it comes right back on yourself, that is something that is reflexive. Now tonight in our text, we find a prayer request that if we pray it, the Lord is going to use us in order to be the answer to that request. Let's go together then to Matthew chapter 9 and verse 35, and let's read down to verse 38. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Let's pray. Father, clearly Surrey, the city of Surrey here in British Columbia, is a city whose fields are white unto harvest. British Columbia and Canada and the world, Ukraine, other places, St. Lucia, Russia, the fields are white unto harvest. And tonight we have read that our Lord and Savior asks of us to pray, to pray that you would send forth laborers into that harvest. And we know that as your children, we are called to be those laborers. Now, it's not everyone who will be called to leave home and country and travel to a different part of the globe to preach the gospel there. But we must all preach here. We must all preach to those that we know. We must all be willing vessels that the gospel may reach the greatest number. So through this text tonight, I pray that you would speak to hearts and that we would leave challenged to take the gospel to one more soul, to many more souls. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Nothing ever stirred the passion of Jesus like multitudes of people who are lost. As we read the four gospel accounts, it's not often that the Holy Spirit moved the human penman to highlight the emotions of Jesus. His words are recorded, not all of them, of course, but many of the words that the Holy Spirit wanted us to read are recorded. 
Uh, many of his miracles, not all of them, are recorded. But not often are Christ's emotions, what was going on in his heart, are they recorded. However, the Scripture does record Christ's emotions when he is faced with men and with women who are on their way to hell, to a Christless eternity. I also corresponded with a missionary in Ukraine, as I mentioned moments ago, and as we prayed together over the phone, here's what he said. He's in Kiev, and he said, Lord, the worst thing about this war is that many people are stepping into eternity and are not ready. That's the worst part of a war, and that's the worst part of many other dire situations. See, the Lord Jesus is not as interested in the language that we speak he is not interested in the color of our skin, but he is very interested in the condition of our soul. In this chapter, Matthew chapter 9, Jesus is raising the dead, he's healing the sick, and he is being branded as a devil for doing it. Yet the chapter ends with what some have described as a spiritual heart attack, a moment of strong emotion a statement of great passion. I would like for us to read it again, but not with a monotone voice. And I do not wish to be irreverent, but I would like for us to try to imagine the intensity of Christ's voice as he says this. He did not say this in a monotone voice. I would like for us to re realize that as Jesus says these words, his heart is breaking. How do you sound when your heart is broken? What is the tone, the volume, the diction of your voice when you are heartbroken? Verse 37, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. This is a dramatic passage. This is a descriptive passage, an outpouring of emotion on the part of the Lord Jesus Christ, because here the Spirit lets us get past the words of Jesus, lets us travel past the mouth of the Lord Jesus and read His thoughts and read His emotions. What we are reading here is something that the Gospel writer Matthew did not hear Jesus say first. I'm talking about verse 36 in particular. He heard him say verse 37, 38, but in verse 36, this is something that the Holy Spirit revealed unto Matthew that he did not hear. The Holy Spirit, and he gave these words to Matthew, said, I, Matthew, you're going to record what he said, and I'm going to add to that what he was feeling. Because these people, they were as sheep having no shepherd. And it says that he was moved with compassion on them. Jesus can always read your thoughts. He can always read my thoughts. And tonight, we got to read his thoughts. What the people on that day could not see, we get to read tonight. Jesus is looking at the multitudes, and he is physically upset. He is moved. His emotion, it changes his demeanor. I believe that it changes his voice. His thought, which he does not verbalize right there, is that they are like sheep without shepherd. They are starving. They are easy prey for the enemy. They are unprotected. They do not have an abundant life. They do not have a satisfying life. They have no purpose. 
They exist, but they have no recourse whatsoever. They have no hope. And Jesus has a broken heart. His body, I believe, and his voice respond. He speaks, he pours out, he exclaims, he shares his feelings, not just his thoughts. The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. One of the books outside of the Bible that has had the greatest impact in my life is an old book that is actually out of print. And the title of that book is Days of Blessing in Inland China. The book is actually structured very poorly. It is, it would not, if they were to sell it today, the editor would do a lot of work on that book. All that book is, really, it's a transcript of Hudson, missionary Hudson Taylor's addresses to his missionaries in China back in the 1800s. They were at a field conference where the various missionaries that served alongside Mr. Taylor came together. And as Hudson Taylor would address them, there was a secretary there who would write down what Hudson Taylor was preaching. But it's, a, it's, it, it's, it's, it, it's like a business meeting. In the book, it'll say, Mr. So-and-so stood up and asked us to pray for this, and then he sat down. Then Miss So-and-so stood up, and she said this, and then sat down. And then Mr. Taylor took, began to speak, and he wrote this. It's not a fluid read at all. But in that book, there are some very powerful passages. There are some great conversion stories that are recounted, great workings of God in China, great principles of revival and missions and of the Spirit-filled life. But the book ends in a very strange way. The book ends very abruptly with a financial statement of the China Inland Mission. Now, I'm not advocating all of the doctrines of the China Inland Mission, especially not what it has become today. But I believe we see a great example of faith in that book. The book ends with the financial records of the China Inland Mission for the year 1886. 1886. And then it ends also with a special prayer request. I'll just read you how the book ends of this book, Days of Blessing in Inland China. It ends like this. The missionaries and native helpers are supported, and the rents and other expenses of mission premises, schools, etc., are met by contributions sent to the office of the mission without personal solicitation by those who wish to aid in this effort to spread the knowledge of the gospel throughout China. The income for 1886 was 22,146 pounds sterling. So this is back in 1886, way over 100 years ago, and they received in that year 3.1 million Canadian dollars in today's money. That's what they got without asking anyone for it. They just prayed and the Lord supplied. But then it continues. China at the present time, taken as a whole, has only one missionary to about half a million of its people, while its interior provinces have only one missionary to several millions of the population. Now listen to, how, to the last line of the book. Daily prayer is being offered that during this year, 1887, God may send out 100 additional workers in connection with the China Inland Mission 
The end. The book ends with a prayer request. In that year, 1887, when the book was published, they were praying that in that year, God would send 100 missionaries to China. End of the book. Now, I'm a curious kind of guy. So I did what all good Bible students do. I went on Google. I'm joking about it. I did Google it. So I Googled China Inland Mission 1887, and I wanted to know what was going to come up. Did God answer this prayer, yes or no? Well, if you, were to, oh, if you were to read online, you would find this. In the year 1887, do you know how many missionaries God sent to China through the China Inland Mission? 100. If you find that on Google, you will find that it's called, that year is called the year that 100 missionaries went to China. Now, the book was published with the prayer request, and it ended that way. Now, today we can look back and say, you know what? That was a prayer that pleased God. They were saying, Lord, would you please send laborers into his harvest? And this rather mechanical, kind of disjointed, not very well-flowing book ends on this sharp note with a financial statement and a prayer request, the end, and the Lord heeded their prayer and sent 100 missionaries in that year. Now, my God has not changed since 1887. The God who was sending laborers to China in that year is very well able to send laborers to Canada in 2022. He is able to send missionaries and church planters and evangelists, whatever, call it whatever you want. He is able to send his witnesses to British Columbia today and to Canada and to Montreal and to the Ivory Coast where I was recently. I want us to take this passage and analyze it in the few moments that we have together tonight. Number one, I want you to notice in verse 37, the one reason. The one reason in verse 37. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. The one reason. According to Jesus, there is one reason, one reason why the multitudes are as sheep having no shepherd. They are lost for one reason. They are on their way to hell for one reason. And that reason is not Islam. That reason is not the Roman Catholic Church. That reason is not atheistic university professors. That reason is not communism or fascism or socialism or anything else. According to Jesus, in his heart, in his mind, in his words, the one reason why so many people are as sheep having no shepherds is that the laborers are few. That's the reason. I mean, you can come visit us in Montreal, and I can take you to... I mean, if you said, Brother Levier, show me all the Catholic churches in Montreal, I would say, fine, do you have several months? I mean, we could do 20 a day and go on and on and on and on. Uh, there are three major pilgrimage sites where people come from all over the world to our city just to go to these various sites. Uh, we have the largest synagogue in North America in Montreal. There are mosques after mosques after mosques. There are 
five major universities where every day the students there are being told that there is no God. But do you know why our city and why the province in which I am privileged to serve, why those millions of people are as sheep that have no shepherd? It's not because of any of the things I just said. It's for one reason alone. It's because of the lack of laborers. The Lord is not intimidated by false religions, by the way. He is not afraid of universities. He is not afraid of fake news. The Lord says, if you go and you preach, well, guess what? People will be safe. But ye shall receive power, he said. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost coming upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. Do you know how Surrey and the greater Vancouver area and British Columbia could come to Christ? More laborers. More people like you and me just humbly going to those that we know and witnessing to them and telling them about Jesus Christ. See, the Lord's methods are not complicated. When the Lord defines a problem, the problem suddenly becomes very simple. What Canada needs, what my country needs, what our country needs is more laborers. And I'm not only saying more missionaries, like as in vocational missionaries. It, means it needs more witnesses. It needs more witnesses. We often blame the field for our lack of success. Oh, it's hard here. It can't be done. Hudson Taylor, again him, said, Perhaps if there were more of that intense distress for souls that leads to tears, we should more frequently see the results we desire. Sometimes it may be that while we are complaining of the hardness of the hearts of those we are seeking to benefit, the hardness of our own hearts and our feeble apprehension of the solemn reality of eternal things may be the true cause of our want of success. In layman's terms, he was saying the problem is not that the people out there are too hard, it's that I'm too hard. The one reason is the lack of laborers. You know the fields in Jesus' day were not easier than they are today. The Apostle Paul, as he ran around the Roman world, did not have it easier than I do. The plenteousest harvest of which Jesus spoke was not an easy harvest. But again, Jesus, he doesn't say, pray, pray for Israel that things will get easier. He doesn't say, pray that the Roman government will be tolerant. No, he says, pray that the Lord of the harvest will send forth laborers. Jesus highlights that one single reason for the condition of the harvest. Lack of laborers. In the video that you saw, we started the church in 2013 in a, in, a, in a school. It was actually a Jesuit college that had just become secular two years before, and they were renting out space. We rented from this university college, also has a high school department, and I, we started the church in the student center where the students used to do their homework. Now, one of their famous students is a man by the name of Justin Trudeau. So we started the church in the room where Prime Minister Trudeau used to do his high school homework. Isn't that a bit ironic? 
But at the same time, you know, the policies of a particular political party are not our problem. The problem of Canada is that there's not enough Canadians out there giving the gospel. It's because of the lack of laborers. We could have the best government in the world. It would not solve the problem. It's lack of laborers. Jesus did not say, pray that the soil will be softer. He did not say, ask for rain. He did not ask for good, say, ask for good weather. He said, ask for laborers. But not only is there one reason, Look at the one role in verse 38. The one role, verse 38. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers. Laborers. The one role. Modern Christians often like the parts of the Bible that benefit them. Even when we preach on missions, sometimes we, people feel like they have to somehow talk about the topic of missions in a way that will highlight the benefit to us if we get involved. But here the title that is given the Lord is the Lord of the harvest. When I, do my, when I have my, my prayer closet, my personal time with God, I, I, I enjoy praying through the names of God that we find in Scripture. And I praise Him for His various attributes as revealed in the names, for example, El Shaddai, Almighty God or El Olam, the God who, who lives, the, the living God. Different names, and I like to praise him through by using the various names we find in Scripture. And some of my favorites are the ones that benefit me. El Roi, the God who sees me. That encourages me that God sees me. Jehovah Tzedniku, God my righteousness. I enjoy that, because my righteousness is not my own, but I am covered with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. But all those titles and names of God, as I enjoy them and pray them and praise Him for them, they have a common thread. They all benefit me in some way. To be covered in righteousness, or God sees me, or God provides, or God heals. But here's one that has no immediate benefit to me. It says, pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest. That just sounds like work. That just sounds like something to do. It doesn't sound like God is giving me a handout here. He's asking me to do something. Now, of course, uh, I am part of that harvest. Years ago, a missionary came, planted a church just outside Montreal, and a five-year-old boy got saved, and I'm that five-year-old boy. So I am part of that harvest. I was harvested. Praise the Lord for that. But as I read this title, The Lord of the Harvest, it just sounds like work, and yes, God has one role for me, to be a laborer. I can be a laborer by proclaiming. I can be a, a laborer by praying. I can be a laborer by providing. So I can proclaim. I can go and share the gospel with someone. Uh, I can pray. I, I can give. I can give for missions. You know, God, if, you're, if you are sincere, asking the Lord... To give you opportunities, he will. As Pastor mentioned, I just had the opportunity to go to West Africa, to Ivory Coast, at the end of January and into February, uh, to teach uh, some pastors there, some men that I look up to, and I praise the Lord for that opportunity and for them, and I look forward to the, my next visit. But I was sitting on that aircraft, and I, I, was, I had a connection in Brussels, Belgium, fl I was flying down to Africa, 
And there was a young man beside me who, I don't know how he did it, but he slept in that airplane all the way from Brussels until our stop in Accra, Ghana. We were just stopping in Ghana to let some people off and some other people on, and he woke up. And he, the whole flight, he had been leaning with his head on my shoulder, and I was kind of annoyed by that, and I was kept, you know, trying to move my shoulder to get him off, you know, and off of my shoulder. But he woke up and started to talk to me. And he did something that you should never do if you're sitting next to a Baptist preacher. He asked me what I do for a living. <laughs> well, that started a conversation. And uh, found out that he is from Ivory Coast, but he lives in Washington, D.C., running a firm, a financial firm, that deals with the U.S. government for European interests. Very educated young man. And as we talked and talked and talked, he started to talk about the despair of the world. And I got to give him the gospel, got to witness to him. And uh, he, he, he engaged me in conversation, and then the plane landed there in Abidjan, Ivory Coast, to give him the gospel. He did not make a decision for Christ. However, as I picked up my bag and we were getting off the plane, I thought, well, there's someone to pray for, but I have no way of being in touch with him. But he was waiting for me in the hallway of the airport. He says, sir, you, you were my neighbor on the plane. He said, here's my business card. Because I want you to email me, and I want to continue this conversation about Jesus. He's from Benin. He was, he was actually born in Benin. Now, I don't even know of a single missionary in Benin. And I happen to, there probably are some, I just don't know them. But you know, what did I do special on that plane? Absolutely nothing. To be quite honest with you, I was annoyed with him for sleeping on my shoulder. And I was about to ask the flight attendant if I could have that empty seat over there so that I didn't have this guy sleeping on me. But you know what? God put him there. He was as a, a sheep that has no shepherd. And everything going on in this world worries him sick, keeps him awake at night, except when he's sleeping on an airplane, apparently. But other than that, he is a distressed young man. I didn't do anything special. But by the grace and mercy of God, I got to witness to him. Now, we're still exchanging emails. He's not saved yet, but you can proclaim to. There's someone you're going to meet this week that if you want to, you can give them the gospel. It could be your neighbor. It could be somebody on a city bus. It could be somebody at work. It could be another mother at the park with her kids. You can be that laborer if you want to be. We were laborers tonight. When Pastor prayed for these missionaries, we were laborers as we prayed along with Pastor for those missionaries. When we prayed for those souls on that list that are not yet saved, we were laborers together for their salvation. As you give to missions so that people can go to Ukraine or can go to other countries, wherever that may be, or here in Canada, doesn't matter where, you are a laborer. There is one role. There's one reason why they are a sheep that have no shepherd. That's the, lack of la that's the lack of laborers. There is one role that Christ gives us that is a laborer. And notice the one request. That'll be, that'll be the end. The one request in verse 38. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. A few years ago, I was in a missions conference in Michigan, and the pastor did something I will never forget. I've actually incorporated that into our own missions conference at our church. Every time a missionary would come up and present a field, the church would stop, they would pause, 
and take a time to pray for laborers to that particular country or field. And the, the pastor highlighted something that I thought was interesting. He said, the Lord asked us to pray for one thing. The only prayer request he gave us was to pray for laborers. And they, they actually had a missionary to Ukraine that night, the Bagwell family. And we stopped and we prayed for laborers for Ukraine. The night that it was our turn to present the ministry in Canada, they stopped and they prayed for laborers for Canada. There was another missionary going to another part of the world and they, we prayed for missionaries for, actually it was um, Greece. There was a missionary going to Spain, we prayed for laborers for Spain. That's the one request. On my phone I have an app that highlights one unreached people group every day. You fire up that app that day, they'll tell you about a people group, perhaps somewhere in India or in Pakistan or somewhere else, where there's not really much of a gospel witness. And I believe, and again, I don't want to be irreverent, I know the Lord Jesus doesn't have an iPhone, but if he did, would you allow me to imagine that that's an app that he might have on his phone? To pray for laborers, for the harvest. I want you to notice two quick things. First of all, it's a reflexive request. This request, this one request, it's reflexive. As I explained at the outset of the message, reflexive means it's like a boomerang. It comes back on you. It's something you do to yourself. In English, reflexive pronouns are like myself and yourself and himself and herself and ourselves. Those are reflexive pronouns because there's something that is done by you to yourself. And when you pray this prayer, you're not praying only that others will go. You are saying, here am I, Lord, send me. Again, Mr. Taylor in China said this, I have seen many men work without praying, though I have never seen any good come out of it, but I have never seen a man pray without working. I have never seen a man pray without working. If you will commit to praying what Jesus asked us to pray, I'm going to venture a guess. You will become a witness. It's impossible to fervently pray for people to come to Christ and keep our mouth closed. It is impossible to sit in an airplane beside a man, and I should have done better. Rather than be annoyed with him, I should have been praying for him. It was just the mercy of God that I got to witness to him. Because I was, honestly, I was not being what I should have been in that moment. But if I had prayed for him, Lord, give me a chance to speak to this man. Lord, I pray for this man's salvation. Do you know what? I would have seized the first opportunity. Because when we pray, we work. It's a reflexive request because God is going to use us as the answer to our own prayer. But also it's a rhetorical request. Rhetorical means it doesn't really need an answer. If I was to ask you a rhetorical question, it's a question that is self-evident. For example, if you go outside and it's 30 degrees below and you see a man without a coat and you said to him, sir, are you cold? That's a rhetorical question because you know that if he doesn't have a cold and he's outside in minus 30 degree weather, you know he's cold. It's a rhetorical question. Or if you see somebody on the ground in pain and you say, are you hurt? That's a rhetorical question. It does not need an answer. It's self-evident. And when you pray, send laborers into the harvest, you know that it's something the Lord wants to say yes to. 
It's a self-evident request. He is the Lord of the harvest. Why would the Lord of the harvest not want to send laborers into his harvest? You know he does. You know he does. It's a reflexive prayer. It's a rhetorical prayer. I do not agree with everything that they became. And to be quite honest with you, I don't even agree with all of the doctrines that they preached in the 1700s. But I do admire the zeal for missions of a group of Christians that were called the Moravians. The Moravians, and I, I'm out of time, so I'm going to keep this very short. The Moravians were refugees that gathered on a particular piece of land that belonged to a rich young ruler, really, named Count Nicholas von Zinzendorf. And they established a little village called Hernhut, the house of the father, they called it. But, after, but they were from different Christian groups, and they didn't all agree, and quite frankly, it didn't take very long for them to all stop, start fighting with each other. But one day, I'm skipping ahead in the story, but one day, Zinzendorf was going around, and he got them to pray together. And as they were praying together, they committed to praying all around the clock. So they started this prayer chain in their little church. And at every moment of the day, there was someone in the church praying in one-hour shifts. So in one day, 24 hours, they would have 24 people relaying each other praying. And they did not pray for very long until they began to have a burning passion for missions. And some of them went on to... Ironically, they came for refuge from persecution and they left as missionaries willing to sell themselves into slavery or be martyrs for Christ, even here in Canada in the Arctic, because they had been transformed by their own, well, by the Lord, but they had been transformed by their prayer life. Historians say, historians say that that prayer meeting 24 hours a day in a relay, went on for over 100 years. For over 100 years, there was always somebody in that little church in Hernhut praying. And hundreds and hundreds of them went out as missionaries. And again, I'm not condoning all of their doctrine, but I do admire their zeal to pray what the Lord Jesus asked us to pray. Send forth laborers into his harvest. What does Surrey need? Laborers. What does BC need? Laborers. What does Canada need? Laborers. What does the world need? Laborers. Why are they lost? Lack of laborers. Who are going to be those laborers? You and me. How are we going to become those laborers? We're going to pray. How is God going to add to the laborers? We're going to pray. And we're going to pray that the Lord sends laborers into his harvest. And we're going to have our hand raised. Here am I, Lord. Send me. Heavenly Father. Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.